podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. This is the Celtic Exchange Weekly, this is Tino and this week I'm joined by James and Joe as we cover all things Celtic. It's been a good week on the park with Celtic scoring nine goals without reply against St Myrna and Morton to keep everything ticking along nicely. Off the park, Josip Juranovic's time at the club is finally over as he joins Union Berlin in the Bundesliga and a deal that could rise to £10 million. James, a busy time just now and with a week or so to go of the transfer window, it's only likely to get busier. Your general thoughts on things just now, plus your Celtic moment of the week. Ticking along nicely on all fronts, you know, certainly on the playing front, um, we're seeing a lot of debutants coming in and you're just slotting into the system, you know, so whatever way we're doing it, it's working. Um, there's a bit of activity, as you say, on, on the outside, which you know, we want, essentially. And, um, you know, we've seen that in Juranovic uh, going there. That's that's actually my moment of the week, uh, funny enough, that, you know, we're going to see this model and if the model is to work, it has to have an endpoint. And Juranovic is the first major endpoint where a guy's come in for relatively low money. He's performed excellently. I was a huge fan. Um, I think his head wasn't great this season between World Cup and looking for moves. I think he actually wanted to move in the summer. But, you know, his first season, you know, how he played a real Champions League level uh, fullback and could play the role that, that Ange wanted. So that his deal has come to, you know, seven and a half basic and two and a half in add-ons. Even if you don't get the add-ons, that is excellent business. You've replaced Johnson within that. You've replaced uh, you know other players as well within that budget as well to you know to show us how we're using the finances. Um, it's excellent business all round. So um, more to come. Did you get emotional reading his Instagram uh, send off? Birthday care, push for me. Are you on the gram? Uh, no, I mean I've got an account. I wouldn't know how you log in there. <laughs> um, nah, I, I, I think it was it was nice and it's nice to send off. See you later. See you later. What do you think, Joe? You're a fan of Juranovic. There was also a nice moment. We touched on it before coming on where a couple of players mimicked his celebration to, to say farewell to him. Yeah, I mean, I was sad to see Juranovic go. Um, a bit different circumstances this time now because, you know, you've got beforehand, you're losing a player and you're then having to think, oh, we're going to have to replace him with someone of a low value, but obviously of a similar quality, which is never easy to do. Um, so, Maybe not as sad as I usually would be, but um, definitely, you know, someone that's contributed contributed a lot and, you know, all the best to him. Yeah, he's played a big part. Who was it done the celebration of forgetting? Dyson and somebody else? Dyson and uh, Kyogo. Yeah, the yeah. kind of the ears thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah nice I touch. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. It seems he was a, a well-liked part of the dressing room. Lots of players coming out with kind words to say. We've got a quote from Alistair Johnson later on in the piece. But no, listen, he moves on. We're going to cover the transfer policy in general just shortly as part of the big debate, but he certainly moves on with everyone's best wishes. Joe, uh, welcome of course to the weekly show, this is your first time on and some listeners may already recognise Joe as he often attends the Celtic press conferences for us to speak to Ange and the various players. You were speaking with Ange and Alistair Johnson actually last week, Joe, were they on good form? They were in good form, yeah. Uh, Alistair Johnson likes to he likes to talk, he's a... Uh, sort of guy will answer three questions within one so it's sometimes not the easiest for us to try to ask a question um, but yeah good form uh, Angie's usual self a bit ruthless but uh, he's good really good with his answers as well so nah the word good form good form yep. and what about yourself in terms of your Celtic moment of the week what are you going with? my moment of the week was the introduction to Celtic fans of uh, Tomoki Iwata uh, I thought he came on at half time albeit we were 4-0 up and you know, the game was done. I thought it looked like he's offering something a bit different. Um, with Callum McGregor sort of going to be in that position as a mainstay, it's hard to see him coming in the theme straight away, but he's certainly a good option to have. I, I like his energy. I like that he's strong. He was really good with the ball at his feet. He was quick. And yeah, I think it'll be good for us going forward. Um, and I'm looking forward to see what else he can offer. Yeah. James, he's a, he's a powerful big lad, isn't he? And he was last season's J-League Player of the Year. He's not here to sit on the bench. No, it's Joe said at the start there, he's here to uh, take over, not take part. So we'll see what Cal Mack's got to say about that. But we did need a bit of steel in the team. Um, not that you know, Cal Mack necessarily needs you know, any lessons in that regard. He's, he's one of the, the, the stronger players. But it allows us to push Cal Mack up front a wee bit, you know, in front of the number six, and puts a really strong physical guy in that number six role. So you're looking at Europe and I think we mentioned even last week you might see a kind of a double number six between Nwata and McGregor to give you a bit more defensive cover so it's just you know Ange wants options from his squad and from his players and he's getting that in Nwata 
It looked like he's tried to fill that defensive central midfield position a couple of times so far unsuccessfully and, and it's not like Ange not to get a sign on right but one or two are, are going to not work out for different reasons Idiguchi came in last January it's not happened man I don't think it it's going like to happen Abel Gard came in in the summer and you can add him to the same list so hopefully it's third time lucky with Iwata and he becomes that genuine competition backup support for Callum McGregor call it what you will but great to see him get his debut there on Saturday and hopefully we'll see a lot more of him in the weeks ahead okay let's take a look at what's coming up on this week's show so first up it's this week's big debate as we look at those players that are currently exiting the club and whether or not that should be happening at all we then play this week's mystery Celtics Joe gets his first chance in the hot seat for that and we'll then move on to our listeners question for the week with a very good question coming in about the Celtic Academy and finally we'll finish the show by highlighting something which we think you'll enjoy from this week in Celtic Media. Okay, so to get us started, this week our big debate centres on Celtic's current transfer strategy and specifically on the first two high-profile names who are now being allowed to leave Ange's squad. So the question for today is this. Josip Juranovic has now left Celtic to join Union Berlin and it looks like Georges Giacomakis may also be on his way out of the club in the coming days. A lot of fans are upset at the decision to allow these players to leave, especially as both came in initially on five-year deals less than 18 months ago. So, the question for you guys tonight is, are you disappointed by the exits? Should we have fought harder to keep them? Or do you see this as smart business by the club in both cases? James, your initial response to that before we get into it in a bit more detail. Uh, you never like to see talent leave the building. You know, that, that's a, a, a good place to start and... Uh, both of those players are big favourites of mine and they both had a huge contribution to us being so successful in Angie's first season. Um, some things are against them, age. Um, attitude wasn't great from certainly Juranovic, maybe a wee bit Jack and Marcus. We've heard things about training ground stuff and, and that type of thing. Um, but this is the machine, this is the model. Um, I think if these guys were 22, 23, Celtic would have went, yeah, give them the dough and... We can see, you know, we know the, tra the trajectory they're on or take the offer. There's rumours about Matt O'Reilly in the summer and stuff. That'll be big money because totally different profile. So if you were to put them in Matt O'Reilly's age bracket, it's, it's different numbers. So I'm I'm very relaxed about it. You know, certainly Juranovic has been replaced. It looks like Giacomacus will be by tomorrow or the day after. Celtic is, you know, we're actually, a lot of fans are upset or worried or anxious about this because... We're long in the tooth as to how Celtic do you know, this kind of business. Sell them, do nothing, wait till the end of the transfer window, sign a loan player till the end of the season and then see where we go from there. I've said this a few times, it's not like that anymore. It's just not like that. We've got the guys in either just as they're going out the door or well before they're bedded in. So as long as Celtic are doing their business like that, nothing to worry about. Yeah, I think what you're saying is we've been stung by Celtic before. I've been hurt before, many, many <laughs> so, times. So we know what it feels like. We'll get into this in a, in a bit more detail just in a second because there's various factors that play into to the case with these two guys and reasons why I think it potentially is a very good call to let them go. But Joe, before we get into it in the, the detail, what's your general take on it? The right move to let them both go or do you have any reservations? Well, I think so. Um, if a player's not happy, they shouldn't be here. Um, and I think that is Angie's... Sort of policy. He's not wanting to keep unhappy players. He's not going to try desperately hard to change their mind. Or you know, I remember ask, I actually asked him before, and I think it was after the Aberdeen game. I'd asked him, and what I think it's been asked quite a lot since. But what we asked him, what would you do to keep your squad happy? Because he's got a big squad. He's got a talented squad. What would you do in that regard? And he says, why should I make the effort to keep them happy? Because they're playing for Celtic Football Club, they're playing at a big club. They should be happy to be here and they should be motivated to be here. And as long as they're doing that and they're good enough, then I want to keep them. And if they're not, then they can find a move elsewhere. I think it's a, a good shout because, y I mean, you shouldn't really have to fight too hard to to keep somebody motivated at Celtic Football Club, should you, James? And it's it's funny in the case of Jack and Marcus because we're by far the biggest club in his career and will finish the biggest club in his career, wherever he goes from Celtic. Good luck to him and all that stuff, but it's a step down. And whether it's Jack and Marcus or anyone else that finds himself unhappy for any reason, Andrew's right to an extent. It's not his job to keep these guys happy. They should be, they should feel privileged to be at Celtic. Yeah, but there's a financial reality comes into it for these guys because they're both very similar profile that they're late bloomers. You know, they're both, what, 28? This is the biggest stage they've got to. They're not on 
the biggest wages and if someone's going to offer them something silly for a four or five year contract, take them into they can have twilight their career, then, you know, we'd all do the same. You know, maybe not as Celtic fans, but if we were in a club that wasn't our, our club, then I think it's perfectly reasonable for them to take that move. Um, so, nah, I don't, I don't really have any, any problem with it. In terms of being motivated to to be happy at Celtic, you know, there's there's been chances, maybe less so for Juranovic because it's a different position, but Jack and Max has come off the bench many, many times a season. And if he wants to take that jersey off of uh, Kyogo, you know what you need to do. And he didn't do it. It's as simple as that. So I think even if he had done it, the age profile, you know, niggling injuries, all these things, I don't think Celtic were looking to offer him big bucks anyway. But in terms of getting first team football, every footballer in the planet knows how to get that play better than the other guy. Yeah. You've mentioned the the profile of the players and we'll go through them just individually. I've got kind of Fact file, if you like, on Juranovic first, and then we can get to Jackie Marcus. But age-wise, so he's 27, nearly 28. And Angie's quoted as saying, listen, he's 28. He's not 28. Wikipedia tells me otherwise. So he's 27 at the moment, 28 in the summer. Signed from Legia Warsaw uh, on a five-year deal on the 24th of August 2021 for £2.5 He's now left to join Union Berlin. £7.5 initially, as you say, James. So three times your money, potentially up to four times your money, £10 million. He's had 53 appearances for Celtic, scoring six goals. How many of them were penalties, Joe? Five. Correct. Uh, one out of one. So, yep, five of those six goals were penalties. Highlights, of course, being the fact that he's a league and League Cup winner, scoring goals in the Europa League against Real Betis and Bayer Leverkusen from the spot. I mean, Joe, you've mentioned before you're, you're fond of a player like Juranovic, but you can see the bigger picture of why he, he's moved on, can't you? Of course. And looking at his career before, I mean, he's a spell in Croatia, he's a spell in Poland, that it's maybe he's looking for that last payday. And you're not a footballer forever. You've, I mean, realistically, he's got about another five or six years to get that move away. And even then, this could be his best chance to do so. Um, if he's for as long as he's playing for Croatia and his first choice, he's always going to be, and obviously for as long as Croatia are playing well, he's always going to have that platform to kick on. But the footballs, I mean, all it could take is for a, a serious injury, and that could be him. So in that position, you need to take your chance. Yeah. And yeah, I think that definitely is a right move. Union Berlin as well are a side on the up. So they're currently third in the Bundesliga, I think. He's obviously going to get Joint a, second, I think. Is that right? He's going to get a big signing on fee. He'll improve on the wages he's currently getting at Celtic. It's an hour from Zagreb on the play and all these kind of things. You know, there's a lot that plays into it. And I think the biggest factor is it's his last big payday, his last big move. He could get injured in training tomorrow and all these kind of things play into it. I think the quotes from Ange are really interesting. So I've got a quote here, um, if you bear with me. It's a few paragraphs long, but it's, it's really interesting in terms of his take on it. He says, I don't think there needs to be winners and losers out of this. I can't question Josip's contribution. He's been fantastic. Josip has absolutely loved his time here and he'll remember it fondly and he gets an opportunity to do further things in his career and for his family. He's been a really popular member of the dressing room. He's been a key contributor last year to what was a very, very important season in the context of what happened the season before. With all of the lads, I'm constantly in dialogue with them about themselves and their careers and people have to appreciate Josip is 28 years of age. He's not, he's 27 inch. Uh, and he hasn't really got to the highest level until late in his career. He just wants to maximise his opportunities. To be honest, I agree with him. That's what all of us have in our careers, a limited time and we want to take opportunities. He leaves here as a fantastic player and as somebody who contributed to what was a really important season. I certainly wish him well and I hope he goes over there and kills it. He's very well respected within our dressing room and will be missed, but that's the nature of football. James, what do you make of those quotes in general? It's just Ange all over, just the humanity of the man. You know, it doesn't need to be, you know, football can get into situations where it's self, save me from a Celtic hell and all these things. It never needed to be that way and Ange managed that, that it never became that way. The, we've all discussed just here, you know, in the last five minutes, the reality of the situation and the reality of the finances of a footballer that age. And if he can get that move that gives him a bit more financial security, he should take it. And Ange has covered it all there, all that and, you know, how... Well, he regarded he was not just in the dressing room by himself, how he contributed to their success. I, th- I, th- I caught that kind of Saturday or so, that interview. It was just Ange all over. Yeah, I, I think it, there's various very interesting, you know, lines within the quotes, but I think the very first line, I don't think there needs to be winners and losers out of this. Yep. Some fans are a bit upset. I don't think there's any reason to be upset. I think this is, this is just football in the modern game. And to a huge extent, everybody wins here, Joe. You know, we've... 
you know, trebled if not more uh, in terms of our outlay on this player. He's had a brilliant season. He's been a great performer. He's been part of a, a dressing room which needed success quickly and he certainly played his part in that. And he now moves on, you know, to pastures new and picks up, you know, decent money for doing so. It just makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? It does. Um, you know, from the club's perspective, we have, we've reinvested that money and from what I've seen of Alistair Johnson so far, I'm impressed by him, but we've also got a really good right back in Anthony Ralston. And we've got options there. We don't really need... It's not as if we're losing a massive part of the squad that's going to be really difficult to replace. We've got some two guys that can step up. And from the club's perspective, okay, five-year deals, they were sort of signed long-term, but he's come in at a really crucial time that we needed somebody to step up, and he has. And all the best to him. He's done his, he's done his bit, and, you know, happy for him to move on. Yeah. So we'll look at it in just a second as to what it means to the, the squad overall, but I, I certainly get, you know, get the vibe here from us three in the room. No hard feelings. You know, it's, it's all good. Not. It's football when you move on. In terms of Jack and Marcus, so nothing confirmed just there, but it would seem imminent that he'll also follow suit in the next few days. And, and it's the kind of thing that could potentially be happening right now while we're on air here. Um, his profile, though, is very similar to you say, James. He's genuinely 28 years of age, which is one thing. He signed from VVV Venlo. Uh, on the 31st of August 2021, last day of the transfer window, same day as Carter Vickers and Jota. A big day for Celtic, might I add, to get all three of them in. Uh, and again, he cost around about £2.5 The big suggestion is he's either going to go to Japan to Aruba Red Diamonds or Atlanta United in the MLS for a fee somewhere around about £4 million, maybe somewhere between 4 and 5 Um Similar appearance numbers to Juranovic, he's got 57 appearances for Celtic and 26 goals in that time, so not far off a goal every two games. Some big highlights for Giacomacus. So he's obviously a league winner, eh, as was Juranovic. He missed the League Cup final through injury. And he's actually missed quite a lot through injury, and we'll get to that. He scored two hat-tricks for Celtic, one against Dundee, one against Ross County, both last season. He's got his Champions League goal eh, on his CV now, so he scored against Shakhtar at the end of the campaign this season. And he was Scottish Premiership joint top scorer last season with 13 goals alongside Reagan's Charles Cook. Fact for you, Joe, Celtic never lost a game where Georges Giacomacus scored, so he's played his part in then some. Where are you at on this one, James? Is that very much a similar approach, even though we're quite light up top at this moment in time? Yeah, I mean, the cover has to be in before the end of January and, and sooner, preferably. Um, I'd much rather a situation like Johnson Juranovic, and I think we're almost going to get that. Um, so very, very similar to Juranovic, I'm, I'm very relaxed about it and very similar in terms of how much I liked him as a player and how important he was to us, us last year. You know, without Jack Amakis and that close to the season, January to May, it'd have been really, really sticky. I don't think we win the championship without Jack Amakis last year. So a really important player for us. This is just the game, you know. Yeah, I think you said the really accurate line last last week, no Jack Amakis, no league title. That's what I see. And I think that's, you know, that still applies. Uh, Gus Poyet was out speaking uh, in the last few days, so he's obviously his national manager now at Greece. Poyet, for those who don't remember him, is ex-Chelsea, ex-Uruguay, real hardly competitor himself. And he says, Georges is a strong character. He likes to play football. He gives you 100% all the time. That's why he's so popular with Celtic. He's got better in front of goal and scored a few goals. But this season, he wasn't playing regularly. He felt he wanted to play. At first, I heard it was this team in Japan he was going to sign for. Now I hear it's the team in the MLS. I always tell any player when they ask for my opinion that they have to make good decisions. The more good decisions you make in your career, the better your career gets. So I don't think there's any doubt he's off schedule and it, it remains to be seen as to, to where it will be, be. But again, it's it's just one of these things that it makes a lot of sense. It does. Um, and I know, I think James had touched on it last week, about I actually thought that Celtic should have signed a striker on top of Jack Marcus as well. Um and that was my initial thoughts going out in the window because given the situation we were in last year, Kyogo and Giacomacus were both injured yeah. coming to sort of tail end of uh, the calendar year. A bad up front. A bad up front. St Johnson, I think Joey Dawson come jo on as a yeah, sub. Joey Dawson, no less. Um, so obviously, thankfully, Maida came in just after that. But I, I think we were sort of short in that position anyway. But given the reports you hear, he's maybe not happy with his minutes and again, the policy of Ange not keeping players that aren't happy to be there and again a great servant in terms of the goals he's contributed but good riddance and we move great servant don't hit you oh, um, get in there strong words there by Joe on episode one <laughs> um, as a very general though whether it's Juranovic or Jack Marcus, I think there's 
four very good reasons to let players go, and I'm going to list them here. So the age profile, of course, comes into, into play. These guys are in their late 20s, and, and you've got to consider that. Kind of going on a par with that is their injury record. So I'd mentioned both have played similar games. I think Jack has played 57, uh, Juranovic 53. They both missed something close to 20 games through injury. I need to check the finer detail, but they both missed big chunks of last season and bits of this season, actually, with niggling injuries. Uh, and that's got to come into the thinking. And maybe some of the sports science as well tells Ange that... Got the markers. Listen, maybe, you know, they, a couple of years from now, they'll, they won't be as uh, robust as what they are. Value obviously comes into play, so we're probably selling both at their, their peak time here. You know, every player has a shelf life, every player has an optimal value, and I don't think this is us maximising our return base. I don't think you can sell Juranovic at any other time for what you're getting just now. If you if you hold him for another season, that seven and a half million might be six million or five million, and you might be the same with Jack Amaki. So there's an optimal time to sell players, and Celtic haven't always been good at that. I think that seems that that's the case here. And the final reason, and it's a good one, and it you know, maybe doesn't sit well with some folk, but the player wanting to leave, a desire to leave the building, as much as, you know, Illinois, some fans, is part of the game. And if someone doesn't want to be here, then we shouldn't fight too hard to keep him here. Yeah, and just long on record, you know, almost from day one, you know, along the lines of, you know, I'm not going to sell the club to you. You shouldn't have to be made happy here. Um, if anyone was, was shown, you know, an eye towards the door, it was almost done that very moment. You know, so no problem with that. Um, that. That's just how Andrew runs things. I think maybe where most fans who have an issue with it do have an issue is the values are maybe less than we had in our heads. You know, I, I think both those players for those numbers, 10 million and 4 million, 5 million, 4 million, that's, that's value. That's real value to get guys of that quality into your squad, you know, from Union Berlin and whoever it may be that gets Jack and Marcus. I had Juranovic about 15 Post World Cup, strong World Cup, and Jack Marcus about seven. So maybe there's a wee bit of that surprise, but the the economics of the day come into it, and the market sets the price. That you know they've not had the offers of seven million and fifteen million, and the economics of the day for Celtic are: I can take his wages off, I can get paid to do so, I can buy that guy who's going to come in in similar wages, younger profile, more potential, everything that goes into that. So I think we've done that in Johnson already. And, it, you know, it looks like, what's, O's 21? Who, sorry? Oh, the, the Korean boy? Yeah, he's 21, 21 years of age, so if we get him in the door, yeah. So if he comes in and bangs in 13 goals, you know, this season or, you know, 13 plus next year, then you've replaced like for like there in terms of the contribution, but you've totally changed the profile and the balance sheet and all of these things. So if it make if, if the offers are there to make those changes and they're slightly less than you'd, you'd have hoped for, you still take them. I think Ange had a job to do in his first two transfer windows and it was twofold. One was to, you know, find a, a balance in the squad in general and bring in some youth players and some or younger players, sorry, and players with potential. But he also had to find seasoned professionals who could come in and Ready do a job go. straight yep. away yep. and help us win the league. Ange's spoken about this often enough. Coming in last season and competing, you know, and nearly win the league wasn't good enough and, and will never be good enough at Celtic. So he knew he had a job to do to try and win the league. Look at Juranovic, came in, won the league, you'll get four times your money. Jack Amakis comes in, you win the league and you're doubling your money. That makes sense and it's almost, I don't know how planned it was that they would go in this window or, or maybe in the summer, but they've come in, done a job and you sell at a profit. I'm, I'm struggling to see a, a downside of that. And you've replaced with youth. It, exactly that. So you're bringing in a couple of guys who look equally capable, but they're a younger profile. So that's interesting in itself. What we've seen, we've seen it in quite recent history at Celtic that keeping unhappy players is not a good thing. So we witnessed the pitfalls of that in the, the season that won't be spoken about, uh, to call it that. There, there was decisions made ahead of the 2020-21 season to block any moves for Edward, Chris Iyer and Ryan Christie. I want to be on record, not by Neil Lennon. The one thing Neil Lennon got right was get them out. Yeah, he's spoken about the fact that he thought it was right to move them on yeah. and if a player doesn't he, want to he knows there. what unhappy football players do yeah. yeah so it seems there that maybe a non-footballing person made a footballing decision James footballing direct but that's all changed that's that's old Celtic but yeah you could debate you know those three players extensively if you want Edward, I or Christie how happy they were how under motivated they were at times um, and hindsight's a great thing and all that stuff but you could just see how they performed during that year particularly Edward if I'd been really uh, frank about it they just weren't happy. And you've also got to look at the impact of, well, a couple of things. 
unhappy players in your first 11 so that's going to impact your results and your performances it also impacts your dressing room and the overall dynamic if you're training next to a guy and you know he doesn't want to be there and he's not in the trenches with you that's not good for the dynamic overall and I think you've leaned towards it James with Ange Postacoglu you're either all the way in or all the way out and I don't think he likes this you know half in half out stuff and I think that's why Jack and Marcus and Juranovic have been dealt with you know in the politest way and replaced pretty swiftly yeah um, and I have to agree with James as well with Jackie Mack uh, there was a lot of discussion about his value and with Juranovic as well the fact of the matter is any player's value depends on how much somebody wants you yeah. and it comes to the point do you know what we paid £2 million for Jackie Marcus and he was a top scorer on the added visa so we can't really say oh we can't really be in a position to say oh we want £7 million for him because he was he tore I mean I say tore it up in Holland I think his team got relegated that season but yeah. On paper, you'd be set, you'd be charging a lot more than two million quid. So, yeah, I, I think that the new the new model that we've got is good, and it seems a lot more promising because, as we say, Edward last season, I thought, or uh, two seasons ago, sorry, you could tell with body language straight away. So you could tell with down tools and wanted to leave. I agree. We need to move players on that aren't happy, and get, you know keep the squad balanced and keep it happy and don't disrupt anybody else because I think that's the main thing yeah unfortunately depending on what way you look at it player power's more important now than at any time in the game and given the salaries some of these guys are on and you know things like that if they want to move they can generally engineer a move who was the latest guy was it Trossard that's gone to Arsenal from Brighton yes I just said I want to move through his toys at the plan refused to train yeah. <laughs> and basically engineered them right in a well off without them as well so it's everybody wins there but it's kind of the way you know the modern game goes to a huge extent there's some final quotes here from Ange in the matter and I think again it's it's very accurate stuff so he says I said at the AGM we've just got to be really agile and aggressive in the transfer market if we want to make the gains that we want to make I get that it's unsettling and disconcerting particularly particularly for our supporters because they love these players and I totally understand that. But my role is to try and make decisions that I think are best for us and our continued growth as a football team and realising when an opportunity comes along that we have to be ready to take it. And again, it, it's very smart business by the club. So seeing the Juranovic thing coming down the tracks, it's very proactive by Celtic. And I know that doesn't sit easy with you, James, because you're not used to it. You know, Celtic working I, I, in such I'm a way. I'm all for it. I'm, I'm very open to it. <laughs> yep. So they've been they've seen this, the writing on the wall there. You know, Andrew's maybe had discussions with them. Maybe he wanted to leave in summer, but Celtic have realised that he's going to move on pretty sharp and we need to do something about it. In comes Alistair Johnson, 24 years of age, great profile. Signed on the 12th of December as well, so you're getting him in, he's bedding in in time, and you've signed him for £3.5 million. And he's a player who, on initial um, viewing, looks equally as impressive as Juranovic, and overall he's been brought in for a net profit on the Juranovic deal, so it's got to be good business. That's exactly it. You know, I, he's got a wee bit of development to do, but he certainly doesn't look out of place. I think he's, he's forward play is the only place he needs to get a wee bit, you know, more, just tighten up there. Um but the, the inverting role will be relatively new to them, as in the amount of inversion we play. I mean, it, he ends up at outside left sometimes, you see him. Um, so maybe just a wee bit more discipline there. But I, I really like him. Um, I think he's going to be a great, a great signing. But this this is the new Celtic all over, you know, we're, we're just doing things differently. And there's obviously some good management going on when the conversations have gone with Jack Amakis' agent and Juranovic's agent, and they're not, you know, going to sustain, you know, it looks like it's a end of discussion, there's going to be a move. They've handled it really well at Celtic. They've they've not went, right, let's let it, you know, stink out the camp and, you know, just cause problems. They said, right, let's get your move then. What's the move to be? Celtic could have went, no, you're not going for you know seven and a half million. We're, we're going to hold you for your fifteen million that we think you're worth. But they went, no, no, we can use those numbers for, for other things. So I think Celtic, you know, deserve great uh, plaudits for, for that side of it alone. And also, you've got to be careful. The last thing of it, you've got to be careful that any player sees that and goes, "Well, that's how you do it, so I can do it." That's fine. See if you put your head above, you know, Angie's squad and say, "I want out." We will manage you, out, but look at what you're missing. Yeah, quote unquote. Angie says, "We're not playing ducks and drakes here, James." Ducks and drakes. Whatever that means. Skimming stones, apparently. <laughs> so yeah, I think he's. He's got it well under control. I don't think Angie's phased by anything that's going on just now. There's a, a really good quote from Alistair Johnson speaking about Juranovic before he left. So he said, Josip's an unbelievable character. No matter what's been going on behind the scenes, he's a great guy. He's taken him under his wing, which has been really nice of him. He's been the ultimate professional. He comes in, works hard, 
trains unbelievably well. He's another player I look, look up to, someone that I think I can take so much from and learn from. And that's just good all round. Fair play to Juranovic for being the consummate professional while he's here. And good luck to Alistair Johnson as he tries to fill his boots. Last question on this one. So we've mentioned that we, we've got good cover at right back now with Johnson and, and Tony Ralston obviously behind him. But far less cover up top. So Kyogo's the only genuine number nine left at the club if Giacomacus does move on. Does that concern you first of all, Joe? Not overly because we, ha- we do have Maeda and... When Maeda played under Andrew, played in that role, so it doesn't overly concern me. Um, if we're thinking back to, as I mentioned, that spell with St Johnson away, and it was the 500 fans at McDermott Park, getting Joey Dawson, come on, sort of, I, I, I didn't play badly, but he was a youth player, and sort of thrown in at the deep end straight away. Um, we're in a much better position because we've got Maeda, and it's not as if we're taking out someone he's not ta- we're not taking him out from his wide position as well because we're stacked out there as well as it is just now um, so I'm not overly concerned but I want I do want someone in because you never know what can happen injury wise yeah James if we don't get somebody in are you happy to ride out the season with Kyogo as your nine and maybe just Maeda as backup no you know and if this podcast goes out any later than half an hour for now we could be out of date there because it looks like the Korean lad South Korean lad is, is coming in so that's your Jackamacus cover. I'd love us to get Joe as well in the same window, but even if not, I could handle that. Waiting, waiting till the summer for that one, and then we get to the position Joe we were talking about, where we've got, you know, the two strikers that we've got in Kyogo and Jackamacus. You've still got your two strikers in O and Kyogo, and you've got Joe coming in in the summer, and that then gives you your Champions League strike force, and that's where we want to get to. So, now nah, I think they've handled it really, really well. James, a lot of Ocho and Kyogo going on there. Uh, I know. I lost you. You lost, you lost me at O, to be honest with I you. I kind of blacked out you about myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, so obviously you're, you're referencing the, the South Korean striker, Oh hyung Yu. Yep. Uh, if I've got that correctly. So Celtic are strongly linked with the 21-year-old and looks like that is imminent. Um, the suggestion is he'll be increasing his salary by 10 times if he makes the move to Celtic. So you can see why it makes a lot of sense from his point of view. Joe, have you caught any clips of him? He seems like a big, powerful lad. He's six foot one, but he's solid and seems a bit of a goal machine and, and very highly rated in his country. I have watched the, the usual YouTube reel or the Twitter reel of the of his highlights and he does look a great player. I've, I'm, <laughs> I, unfortunately, I've fell into this trap before where I've watched... I've watched the, I mean, I've watched the Klamala highlights and thinking, oh, this guy looks brilliant, and I'm trying to be not overly excited by it because I want to see how what he can offer when he comes in. Um, but yeah, so far, from what I seen, it looked good. Um, it seemed like he was there was a wee bit maybe interest elsewhere, but looks good. Look, sort of fits the bills as an Ange, sort of striker, maybe arguably more than Jackie Marcus would be. Yeah, um, and young at that, twenty one years yeah, of age, definitely, and he's get he's. Hopefully he's better years ahead of him. So, yeah, um, I, I think it looks good from what I've seen. Yeah. On, on Klamala, just a wee kind of... Klamala, yeah. He'll earn his uh, more in salary uh, in t- sign sales fees than Jack and Marcus. What do you mean? He went for five million, didn't he? From us to the MLS? Yeah. Yeah, that's and Jack and Marcus and for four. Not, not far off. Sure. I think it, it, we, we made a profit on him anyway, which is Mad. surprising. Huh? Yeah. Talking about just, you know, watching those YouTube clips and different things, Joe, when Ange came in at first, we had to spend a bit of time catching up on some A-League stuff, yeah. and it was J-League with Japan, and now we're having to watch the, the K-League, is that right? Yeah. I, can't, I can't keep up, James, it's too much. But that's that's the great thing about, you know, Celtic's new modern football and ways, you know, we're not looking at idiotic signings for the Championship, where it's overinflated and guys who are just looking for the money, you're bringing motivated guys over for relatively small fees with bags of potential on relatively low wages. It's breathtaking how well Celtic have, how big a turnaround there has been in the attitude in Celtic since since Ange came in and, you know, whatever went on upstairs from there. Yeah, so fingers crossed we get confirmation on O uh, in the coming days and, and we'll see what the rest of the window holds. But best wishes overall to Josip Juranovic and his move to Germany. He's been good for Celtic. Celtic have been good good for him and we can all now move on and meanwhile we'll continue to keep a close eye on the Giacomacus situation as it unfolds in the coming days Okay, so let's move on to this week's Mystery Celt and we'll start with a quick reminder of last week's Mystery Celt for anyone who missed it Joe, did you get this one last week? I did, Uh, Sean Maloney I did get, I've got a story because I've seen the first first or second clue Um, I remember playing Celtic Top Trumps when I was younger and I remember 
always remembered, I don't know, I don't know why, but Sean Maloney was born in Malaysia. So I seen it straight away and I was like, ah, oh, that must be the FA Cup winners medal. Made sense as well. Joe very much shown his age here as the youth policy, <laughs> James. Uh, did you play top Trump Celtic in your youth? I thought you'd been invented in my youth. Um, you were playing Ducks and Drakes along the end. <laughs> um, so just to recap on the clues from last week. So, yep, clue number one, Joe, I've got 47 caps for Scotland, but I wasn't born here. Clue number two, I've played in the MLS. And clue number three, I've got an FA Cup winner's medal. The answer, of course, was Sean Maloney, who first broke through under Martin O'Neill in 2001. He then left to join O'Neill at Villa in 2007 before returning for a further spell at Celtic between 2008 and 2011. He was born in Malaysia, James, because his dad was a helicopter pilot out there. Is that what it was? No less. But what was your thoughts on Maloney's time at Celtic? I thought he was a great player. You know, right from the very start as well, you know, he came on to the scene in a, in a big way. Um, he maybe, maybe we didn't get the, the best of him or he had a bit of a kind of journeyed career. I know when he came back, he was a real pro, Maloney. You know, he was a high standards kind of guy. And he came back and there was a lot of kind of booze culture. And certainly went, nah, not for me when, it, when it, on, his, on his return. So, yeah, he, I was always a big fan of him. Um, I think he was... Hard done by at Hibs there with the managed managed managerial thing, but that seems to be Hibs thing. Just you know, bad quick decisions. Um, so I'd like to see him come back at some. He, he speaks intelligently about football and he's a consummate pro. So I think he's got something to offer the game still. I, I think he's a real smart and, and deep thinker in the game, and I'd like to see him get back into management and see what that looks like. Did you see him doing the Scottish Cup draw last night? He's milk tray man. I was the wrong. It's under number round the oh, wrong way. Was I it not? Sixes and nines. Mixing his sixes and nines, but he also had a bit of blue steel going on every time he put the number up to the camera. He was kind of yeah. looking deep <laughs> through the lens. So, um, just in terms of the other clues, so he played in the MLS, and I think that threw you a wee bit last week. Chicago James. Fire was it? Chicago yeah, Fire it was because you kept uh, distracting as you were. You were you were throwing interference all over the place last week. I'd, I'd like to you know speak to the panel, but you are the panel. I was trying to cast some doubt, but yeah, Joe's right. He played for Chicago Fire in 2015 before returning to sign for Hull City. He won the FA Cup, of course, with Wigan in 2013 under Roberto Martinez. Any other notable Celtic characters play that day? For Wigan? Or Man City. Gary Caldwell. Caldwell was on the bench for Wigan. James McCarthy and Joe Hart. James McCarthy started and Joe Hart was Joe in goals Hart. for Man City. Joe, your trivia knowledge is excellent, but <laughs> let's, let's, see him, let's see how you so do. we got the point for last week, yeah? You got the point, James, Aye. making it one each for the, the calendar yeah, year so far. So let's move on to this week's mystery cell. I've got confidence that Joe's going to help raise the, raise the standards we'll here. We'll see, we'll see. No offence, Miff. <laughs> um, so clue number one, I've won 17 caps for my country between 1995 and 2004. Not a lot to go on, granted. Not a lot, no. Clue number two, I only ever won one league title with Celtic. And clue number three, I've scored against AC Milan and Real Madrid in the Champions League. So yeah. while the lads are having a wee think about that one, I want to remind you to visit our new website at theCelticExchange.com where you can access all of our podcasts, blogs and videos and can sign up for our free weekly newsletter Between the Lines. While you're there, you can also explore the Celtic Exchange Plus, where we provide additional podcasts each week with pre- and post-match shows for every Celtic game, as well as interviews with ex-Celtic players, coaches and journalists. So visit theCelticExchange.com now for all things Celtic. So there's a few things, right? 17 caps, 95 to 2004. Correct. Whilst a Celtic player? Who said that? Ah, exactly. So watch for that sneaky. Eh... Uh, He's also included before. I was born in 99, so he's also included the before I my time. I don't I don't listen, know. history started before <laughs> you were born, Joe. There, there was a little old team in 1967 that done some good things, and you might have heard about them as well. We think it's one of Alec McNair and stuff like that for oh, yeah. way back. Who was last week? Ebenezer oh, Oars. Oars. Ebenezer Oars. Ebenezer good. He was yeah. quite a player. Uh, second clue. Second clue. So, clue, just to recap, clue number one, I won 17 caps for my country between 95 and 2004. Probably not Celtic. Clue number two, I only ever won one league title with Celtic. That was definitely with Celtic. And clue number three, I've scored against AC Milan and Real Madrid in the Champions League. So I need... 17 caps, did you say? Yep. I was going to say Ian Wright, but... Dion Dublin? None of those two lads. So I'll need to push you, Joe. You know how this goes. Not Cascarino, maybe, no. I think it would Cascarino. Tell him, don't ask him. If it's a guess, I guess. No. Not Cascarino. I'm afraid the Shocking time is up, debut. lads. He wouldn't want a title as well, would he? 
Nah, he didn't. Those nineties, early nineties, James weren't a good time. So scoreline is now two one to me. Um, as a tough one, granted, but you'll be kicking yourself when you hear the answer. If you think you know the answer to this week's mystery Celt, remember to tweet us at Celt Exchange using the hashtag Mystery Celt. Okay, so let's now take a look at our listener's question, which this week comes from Stevie Keenan from Motherwell. Stevie's a big supporter of the show and has also written some articles for the website, so be sure to check them out if you get a chance. And Stevie's question is simply this. Why does the Celtic youth team struggle to produce any strikers? Tony Watt is the last one of any note, and even that's a stretch. And it definitely is a stretch because Watt initially came through the Airdrie Academy, so we can't even claim credit for that. So, James, at the moment... At Celtic, you know, around the first team, there's a number of academy graduates. You've got the likes of Callum McGregor, club captain, James Forrest, club legend, Stephen Welsh, you know, yet to prove himself and see where his career goes. But good players, but not a striker amongst them. What's going on there? Yeah, I mean, obviously we're focused on Celtic, but Scotland hasn't produced a striker in probably the same time period. You know, a real striker of note. You know, even if you look at guys like Kenny Miller, Kevin Gallagher, you know, guys like that, you're going back and going back. Um, Nigel Quasi. Aye, well, you know um, There's a lot to it I, I would certainly say Come back to me in 18 months And ask me the same question See how we're looking then I think there's been a lot of change at Celtic And just come in and went What is going on there? That is amateur hour um, Obviously had to focus on the first team And that's, that's where he put his time But I think by about this time last year He was getting into youth structure And changing things around and having them playing the same way as, as the first team does, you know, Rogers was a fan of that as well. And I think Rogers did spend a bit, of, you know, a good bit of time in the kind of youth training pitches and, and seeing what the boys were doing and trying to give them exposure, but maybe not enough concentrated focus. And also, it should be someone of a decent capability to take it off of Rogers and off of to take that on. We've now got that in McManus and O'Day, you know, two very experienced pros that know, you know, have been working under Ange for a good period. So I think we'll start to see the fruits of that labour in 18 months. And I don't mean just for strikers, I mean across the board, we'll really start to see youth coming through. Um, wider than that, I mean, it's a bit of a head-scratcher that it's not just Celtic, it's everyone because, you know, you're playing school football, everyone wants to be a striker. We're going to talk about Kyogo later on. He When he first started playing football, he was like, well, I'll be a striker, that looks the most fun. Everyone wants to score goals. So where it's going on between now and then, I don't, don't have the answer if I did I'd be paid a lot more than I am yeah I mean I think by and large Joe you're closer to this than all of us but I think school football to all intents and purposes is done now there's not a lot by way of the school football in the way yeah. that it used to be and I think so many teams are signing up players on pro youth contracts and different things and not even allowing them to play for the school it just kind of fell by the wayside so that can be a part of it of course but I mean Joe what's, what's your initial response to that as to why Celtic just aren't producing specifically young strikers I mean, James said it as well. I think it's a really hard position to produce players. I think it is a lot more difficult. I mean, our track record, yeah, we've, I mean, it seems to be sort of more defensive-minded players that we've produced, but you look elsewhere. I mean, there's not really been that many successes of Scottish strikers. I mean, there are two main strikers for Scotland just now. One was born in Australia and one was born in England. Lyndon so, Dykes and... Shea Adams. Shea Adams, so, of course. And and they're not top drawer. You they're know, not. no harm in them. They're, they're, they're decent. Not, they're decent. They're not top drawer. They're not. And it's. Do you want either? Do you want either time for Celtic a striker? I'd take Shea Adams in a heartbeat. Oh no! Jeez, I would take Shea Adams. Not. Any, no. Separate debate. But, but I th- we'll see again. I'd like to wait eighteen months because given his response on Friday, so I'd asked him about the youth policy at Celtic on Friday, and I'd said. Really, as a with a view at the Morton game, just to see where we see these guys getting a chance, and seems to rate Rocco Vata very highly. Um, I don't know how imminent he's, you know, his place will be in the first team, but I, I think there is potential for something there. But we've sort of been there before. I mean, we've, we could last for days how many strikers have been viewed to be the next big, the next Kenny DeGleish, the next Larson, you know, Islam Farouz. You know, likes of these guys who were brilliant at 14, but there's a big, massive transition for boys' football to men's football. And on that, you lead me nicely, Joe, into some examples there. So, and listen, I've got to be honest with you, I was trying to think of examples over the last 20 odd years since the turn of the century as to guys who excelled at youth level for Celtic but never quite kicked on and made it in the first team. 
specifically again in, t- in terms of the striker position. And even at that, I was struggling for examples, you know, let alone guys that made it. I was struggling to find guys who would even know yeah, they didn't make it. Yeah. So somebody that might spring to mind from fairly recent history is Jack Aitchison. He's still only 22 years of age and he made his debut at 16 years of age and 71 days when he came on against Motherwell on the 15th of May 2016, Ronnie Dyla time. He scored with his first touch and remains Celtic's youngest ever player and youngest ever goal scorer. So certainly you know, great accolade for him and yeah, a proud moment for him and his family. But that was about it. That was as good as it got. He, as I say, he's now 22. He's with Barnsley but finds himself on loan at Forest Green Rovers, so it's probably not quite working out at Barnsley by the sounds of it. He's been at Stevenage, and it just doesn't look like he's going to fulfil that potential. Going a wee bit further back, you've got somebody like Denny Johnson, who I remember well from around about 2012-13. Highly rated in the youth team, bit of a goal machine, even scored against the likes of Barcelona and the UEFA Youth League at the time, uh, around about 2012, and then left Celtic without making a first-team appearances. He's since had about 10 clubs, so that includes Colchester, St Johnson, Burton Albion. His last club was Dumbarton, who he left nearly two years ago in March 2021. He's just turned 28 a couple of weeks ago, and it sounds like he's out of football or out of football at any sort of senior level, which is a shame for a young guy then I'm going even further back to someone who you could class a success in terms of Mark Burchill James but keep in mind I'm going way way back to 1998 here 25 years ago so Willie McStay picked up Burchill for the youth team and he went on to make his first team debut against Airdrie in the League Cup 19th of August 1998 tall order for him or anyone at the time to try and break into a first team that included the likes of Henrik Larsson and Mark Viduka up top but he scored a credible amount of goals before he joined Portsmouth in 2001. He also won six caps for Scotland and had a brief spell as Livingston manager. I'm not being flippant by picking out those examples. If anyone listener-wise can tell us any better examples of someone who who was a genuine success as a striker in the last 20 years, then please do so. But that's slim pickings, James. Yeah, um, you, you know, as Joe's saying, it's, it's a hard position, but you know, all problems are hard. It's just a process you go at to, to resolve them. So... Celtic must be seeing guys, you know, the, the, you know, young strikers at you know, 12, 13 or something and bringing them into the, the academy. Maybe there's a part of it that players, as they get older and they get bigger, they get slower, they're not as nippy. Steve McManus was a, a you know, free-scoring striker in his, in his youth and then became a centre-mid, became a centre-half. So that's a, a problem for all teams to, as guys, you know, fill out and stuff like that. But it's a problem you can focus in on and say, well, you know, what, what do we need and what do they need from us? And I think there'll be work going on behind the scenes from, from Ange and the rest to, to address exactly that. You know, what do they need from us? What do we need from them? And and let's ad- address that in a well-thought-out, process-driven way. Yeah, I mean, Joe Celtic, you know, as a bigger picture thing, we should be one of the most attractive options for any young, talented strikers in the country. So why, why can't we get this right? You know, it's a very open and vague question, but... You know, as you say, we're producing midfielders, defenders, left-backs, right-backs, but nothing up top. I think at youth level as well, I mean, I remember all through school, and it was, I think, I think he's the same age as me, but I don't know if you remember Calvin Miller, yeah. that was at yeah, Celtic, yeah. so... He played against us on Saturday. Yeah. Of course. So, Calvin Miller was, a, a, as far as I know, he was a striker at youth level, and used to, when he was sort of early ages at Celtic, used to score loads, and he was known as that guy who just like, sort of tore up, tore up youth level. He came in the first team as a left-back. Yeah, Rogers. So, it's come, I think, in a lot of cases, it's a much safer option, especially when you're at Celtic. I mean, see if you... We've not, realistically, we've not really struggled to have a striker at, like, at the club. We've not... Like, it's never really been a place of, oh, it's somebody's jersey to fill. It's always been a case of, yeah, we see talent in them, but it's how we fit them in. And in all honesty... Playing him at right back or left back is a much safer option than playing him yeah. up front. And you're not, the pressure's not on you. You're not relying on this guy to score. I mean, realistically, it's Celtic, your striker, you're expecting 20 goals a season off it. So it comes a point where you're like, nah, we'll, we'll, we see talent in him, we'll play him here. With technical ability is always there, but it's actually, do we play him in that advanced role? And is he going to be better at 18 than a guy like Kyogo, for instance, who's 27, 28, or any sort of other striker we've got, that's gone by so it's it's always a, it's going to be a hard one and even if they're a striker before it's it's how you adapt that guy into that team and playing him up front is maybe not always the best option yeah I, I think that's a good point but it's not like anyone's been really chapping the door I mean Calvin Miller at that point you know, the Rodgers wasn't yeah. chapping the door as a striker you know he just wasn't wasn't showing for that I think it is a, a general concept of 
for all teams, you know, you're not going to really risk it with a, a young kid, you know, starting the game at 16 or 17 years old, you know, when you need the goals or, you know, you can't lose the game or you can't draw the game. But no one's been knocking at the door to even ask us that question. You know, Ben Doak isn't a striker, but he was asking the question for his position. Yeah. But see, you know, if you give these guys a chance, if we had someone knocking on that door, they're full of, they can have, I point to my own self, my own youth, the stupidity of youth, you don't even know that you shouldn't be in that position and you just have that carefree attitude to go for it. The confidence that brings you, you know, so I think we'll, we'll see it, but we've not really had, it's not been a conundrum for us, you know, do we put youth in front of Hugo because there's been no one knocking the door. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a reason why strikers go for the most money in football, very generally speaking, it's, you know, it's, it's a unique position and scoring goals is the hardest job in football, you know, and that's that's why people pay the big bucks for these kind of guys. But as you say, James, there's, there's not, you know, at the moment we've got Kyogo and an experienced Jack Marcus, but it's not like we've got a third choice striker who's who's the young kid in the wings, whether it be, you know, Rocco Vat as an attacking midfielder, he's not quite a number nine and we just don't see him. I, I couldn't tell you the B team's number nine, Joy Dawson maybe. You know, who, who also seems to be a sub for the B team at this moment exactly. in time. So there's just there's just a lot a lot wrong with it. Um, I mean, I'm going a long way back, James. I, I've spoken about how it's hard to find examples post 2000. It's hard to find examples across the 90s, even. And I'm I'm going way back here to the likes of you know where are the likes of Frank McAvenny, Charlie Nicholas, and, and even Kenneth Iglesias. You're talking about late 70s when yeah. these guys broke through. Again, I'm I'm very genuinely not being flippant, but if anyone can tell me a raft of strikers that I've missed out that have come through the youth at Celtic, then I'm all ears. It, yeah, it doesn't seem to be a, a modern phenomenon for us, you know. Um, it's, it's certainly something to be, to be addressed. But I, I think, you know, that wee debate we had earlier on about would you be worried if Jack and Marcus went tomorrow? I think, that, you know, we're saying, you know, no, because we're going to bring in, bring in cover. In two years' time, a January transfer window 2025, and if Joe is making his move then or, or Kyogo's, you know, off, whatever it may be, you won't be worried because XYZ is coming out of the youth academy. That's the way it has to be and that's the model. Andrew knows that and that's what he wants. So it seems you've both slopey shouldered the question. I'm asking you now and you're saying, ask again later. Magic 8-ball. Ma Magic 8-ball. Ask again yeah. in 18 months time. So, I mean, the, the last question or the last point on it is such as, and maybe for yourself, Joe, for someone who's been closer to the kind of youth game <laughs> in recent years than myself or James. Uh, but I, I suppose the question is, does the modern game allow less opportunity? So, Saturday against Morton was a good example where Boston Lawell's come in, you know, got some minutes there, his first competitive minutes for the club. If that wasn't injured, I dare say he'd get some more minutes on Saturday as well. But there's very few opportunities across Celtic's calendar. Celtic play around about 60 games a season. There's actually very few opportunities like that where the risk factor is low. So we're away to Tannadice next Sunday. I don't think you'll see Boston Lawell or a Rocco Vata or anyone like that because there's just so much at stake. And rightly or wrongly, probably wrongly, Every single point is a prisoner in Scotland. And if Celtic were to go to Tannadice and draw next week, it's kind of a disaster, you know, inverted commas. And I just wonder if the the kind of cutthroat, hotbed environment of Scottish football also doesn't allow young players to flourish. Yeah, I don't I don't think it does. Um, I mean, the reason I've said about the six to 12 months is, Andrew actually said the other day, that that's his view. Yeah. His view, and then it's in that six to 12 months that is sort of to integrate them as much as we can obviously if they're ready they're ready to make the jump or yeah, he, some he, sort he said, of jump. he said not as a, a favour to them but because they'll be ready yeah you know? it's, it's I, think it was, I think his exact words like, I'm, uh, I'm not cushy or something Aye. along those lines um, but yeah I mean I don't think Scottish football holds back these youth players more than any other sort of um, league or any sort of set up I don't think it does I think it's more the fact that it's Celtic and Every game is a must win. And you look at teams maybe in the sort of lower leagues where they don't have the money to go to, they don't have the money to look outside Europe or even outside Scotland to find this replacement. They'll take a chance in youth because they don't really have an option. It's a, it's a very much a case of nothing to lose. Celtic don't have that, as you say. We've got mm. Morton last week where we were 4 0 up at a half time. Okay, it would have been ideal to bring a striker on then if there was someone that was ready. But we don't have that sort of chance, really, do we? Yeah, a good example in the modern game, of course, is the pathway that Andy Robertson took post-life at Celtic. So he wasn't getting a chance. I think he was behind Joe Chalmers, if anyone remembers him, yep. who ended up at Inverness. So Andy Robertson couldn't get in. And then it goes to Queen's Park, who at the time, I think, were in the bottom division. They're, they're making waves now, and good luck to them. But at the time, they were in the bottom division. 
And as you say, Joe, there was nothing to lose. Throw in the kid Andy Robertson and see what happens. What happened was he got better and better with games. Moves to Dundee United, moves to Hull, moves to Liverpool. Wins the league, wins the Champions League. Bit of a kind of fairy tale story Tierney was the same. Tierney was second choice. I think he was dialable. The only reason he came in is because somebody was injured in front of him. Emilio. Who? Emilio. Probably, yeah. I actually yeah. think it was youth level, under 20. So it was a guy in front of him that was getting injured. And he was ended up getting, a fu- getting into first team training. Yeah, and then yeah. the rest is history. So I suppose you can, you also need a huge slice of luck at different times. And I suppose to kind of put the cap on this conversation, the encouraging thing is, and, and you've both leaned heavily towards it, is there's a new focus since Ange came in. His first priority in year one was win the league, focus on the first team. I think it's great that he took Stephen McManus on that journey for the first year because yep. Steve McManus effectively shadowed him and played a big part in the first team squad last season but then got moved to the B team where he's taken all those lessons and all you know the systems and processes of Ange Postacoglu into the B team along with Darno Day um, as I mentioned we've seen debuts this season for Rocco Vata and Boston Lawal and, and that should be encouraged and obviously it's unfortunate that we lost Ben Doak but there's lots of positive things happening and I think overall it's it's encouraging that we're, we're making moves to address the situation overall yeah, we're in, a, we're in a blending period where we haven't got the youth coming through as much as we've got, you know, proven academy players, you know, now stalwarts in the first team, but we haven't had that, you know, conveyor belt of talent to, to use the cliche. So we're utilising the, the scouting policy, but that can, you know, be faded off if you if you get your youth policy right. And then those guys become the guys that go for tyranny money and, and these things and you keep recycling and, you know, reinvesting in, in, the, in the academy side. So I... I would say just stick with it. It looks like it's going to plan, albeit absolutely nothing's happening. Nothing's happening just now, but let's see what 18 months brings. So another interesting question, and thanks to Stevie for sending that one in. If you want to submit your question to us for discussion on any future shows, then you can do so in one of three ways. Firstly, you can leave a voicemail directly on our website via the microphone icon on the bottom right of any page of our website. Secondly, you can send us a message on social media at Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. Or thirdly, you can email me directly on tino at thecelticexchange.com. Time for this week in Celtic Media. Each week here on the weekly show, one of the team will pick out something of interest that they've either watched, read or listened to that week in the world of Celtic Media that they then recommend to our listeners. This week, James has something else for us. James, what have you got? Yeah, someone came out a middle of last week or so. Um, a really nice piece from FIFA about Kyogo and his journey in football um, from Japan to to Celtic. Um, watching anything with Kyogo on it, you know, for any length of time, he's just such... You warm to him. He's just such a lovable character. And seeing how much he's enjoying his time at Celtic and the passion he has for... The passion he has for the passion we have for him. That's the best way I would put it. Um, just a couple of great things. He was a potentially a pro swimmer and he had to choose football or swimming. And, you know, to our benefit, football won. Um, he really got the bug when he saw uh, Barcelona playing Club World Cup Club World Cup uh, in Japan. And he saw Ronaldinho and went, yeah, that, that's what I want to do. Um, picked to be a striker then. Really enjoyed playing with Iniesta. I said you couldn't believe he was in the same same park as him. And then coming to Celtic, you know, I thought this was really interesting from from Calmack. Said it's he's, he's the best he's played with in terms of a striker. I think he was talking about his movement no, specifically. That's, well, so movement. that's what I've got. He said best movement he's played with, but he, he was talking about you know as a striker as, as well as that. Um, if he was very trusted by Ange Postecoglou, putting that faith in him for signing and bringing him all the way across. Hated playing against Marinos. He said they were just so hard to play against, you know, because you're getting defended and knocked all over the place and passed around and, and all that stuff. Um, and just a couple of players he picked out. He, he said Hatati as, as a player. He said he makes other players better because he's always available and he's, he's always got that, you know, the goal from last week, you know. I was going to say a perfect example, the hookup between the two of them last week and what a compliment as a player, you know, everyone wants to play play with. Um, it's a really good series just in general that FIFA have run. So this one's called Kyogo Furuhashi, Life in Glasgow. As James rightfully mentions there, Iniesta speaks very highly of him. So he's interviewed as part of it. Callum McGregor is a captain and speaks on it. And also some folk around uh, Celtic Park and Celtic fan media. It's about 23 minutes long, give or take. Um, and as, as James says, Joe, f- for all his talent, and he is extremely talented, he's a very, very humble guy, isn't he? Aye, he comes across like that. And you can't really put that on. I, I mean, he does really come across like that. And there's a page I follow. I follow it on Twitter and I don't follow it, but I stumble across it occasionally. I don't know what it's called, but I think all he does really is like zoom in the players at full time 
So oh, it's right. like focuses right on like, the players celebrating, and you can tell straight away. I think there's so many times where Kyogo just goes up and like sort of just hugs everyone at full time. I think he's just that the opposition one. players and all that. Aye, aye. But I think it was usually it's like conversations with him, like the Japanese players, and I think a lot of them tend to be like, "What on earth's going on?" Like, um, but yeah, I, I do think so as well. He's he has a lovable guy, and I've got a cardboard cut out of him in my living room. So, <laughs> a he's well liked in my house as well. <laughs> that is very interesting, Joe. Maybe something you should have kept off air, but whatever. <laughs> uh, James, I know Anne says it's part of this system that players are going to come and go, but I think Kyogo's the one that I'd be most gutty to lose if and when he moves on at whatever point that'll be. I was thinking about this through our discussion. It's a funny one. He, he's kind of got to move now or never. Never, please. You know, but that that that's you know there there could be um, a situation where Kyogo plays out his career here because if he doesn't leave in the summer here when he's he's twenty eight as well, isn't he? So if he doesn't leave then another year twenty nine and he'd be contracted to whenever and stuff. Not even in terms of his maximum. Just thinking if I was Kyogo, what would I do? You know, if he doesn't make that move, then you get into your twenty nines and thirties. You better just to stay and enjoy your football. He seems to have a real you know, passion for the city and and the the he'll, 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 whatever he does. He's never played like this environment before, and he'll never play in an environment like this again. So, a lot of guys get that bug and they go, "Nah, this is all right." I hope he's here for the long haul, Joe. And in twenty thirty one, we're looking forward to his testimonial year. Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. Good. I mean, at the weekend there, he scored his 19th and 20th goals of the season and that's him now equal to his tally. So he got 20 in total last season. Joe, there's potentially around about 20 games left for him to break that record. Can he get to 30 plus goals? Yeah, I don't see why not. Um, I mean, it remains to be seen if this guy always going to come in, how much of an impact he'll make straight away. Um I'm right. Is the K League does that run January to December? It's, it's just in close season now. It's just in close yeah, season yeah, now. Yeah. So, I mean, you looked at last season. I think Hatate and Maida maybe started to tire nearer this side of the se- uh, stage of the season. So, it could be a case of, you know, maybe we're going to have to rely on Kyogo a bit more. Um, and this new signing maybe isn't going to be playing as much. So, I don't see why not. He was injured for a big chunk of the last season, so that held him back. Um, and that you can see why he met his target so soon. Um, but yeah, I, I could see him smashing every record this season, definitely. Yeah, I think um, Angie's used him a lot recently, James, almost worryingly. So I thought he might have rested him at the weekend because yeah. if he does pick up an injury now, we're in a bit of trouble. And oh, will hopefully come in and I take this, this episode will be a write off if O doesn't sign, by the way. Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about but that. But he. Um, you, you, you've got the Eddie, Eddie Howe fears on you, haven't you? Yeah, maybe so. I've been stung <laughs> before, as I say. But O might come in and just take a bit of time to bed in. So Kyogo is absolutely the number nine and the main man. but if he were to pick up injury, you know, it could be a shift. But listen, let's hope for the best and hope he stays fit and well. 30 plus has got to be a, a serious target, hasn't it? I think that's inevitable. I think I think he'll go way past that because he's, we were talking about last week, or maybe in one of the, the pre or post-match shows, that he's now starting to pick up that form that he had when he first came to Celtic, where he was just you know, blistered and scoring hat-tricks and all over the place. I think that's where he's at, both in terms of fitness and where his head's at, where his you know his mental strength is is back at, I think he's going to have a blister on the end of the season. He, he'll be the one that coasts us through. Yeah, he's absolutely flying at this moment in time. So yep, so it's from FIFA, Kyogo Furuhashi, life in Glasgow. Really good watch, very well put together. And as always, we'll link to this one in the show notes for the episode. Joe, we now know that we'll face St Mirren at home next month in the last 16 of the Scottish Cup. We're nine points clear in the league. We're also in the final of the League Cup. So how are you feeling in general about what lies ahead over the remainder of the season? And what's your final thoughts for the week? Well, I'm glad the treble's still on. Uh, that's sort of been at the back of my mind since the start of the season that maybe this is a chance we could get the treble um, but yeah happy with how things are going um, departures I don't think are a massive loss we've set ourselves up well but yeah I'm looking forward to the next few weeks a few big games coming up albeit not in Europe but domestically get a lot of big games coming up it's a must win every game as it always is at Celtic so yeah looking forward to it yeah, and hard luck again on the mystery cell. There's, there's always next time, Joe. <laughs> uh, James, as mentioned, so we're likely to see a few more transfer ins and outs in the, the coming days. What's your hopes there and your final thoughts for the week? One striker, certainly. Um, and a sad departure, not for Joe, but for the rest of us, for Jack Amakis. Good um, riddance. Uh, good riddance, man. Right in there. Brutal. Uh, um, so, yeah, kind of a bit of a change in the guard there. Um, I'd love to see the two of them come in, the two uh, South Korean boys. But... If it's just one, then I'd be happy enough with that and see what we do in the summer for Joe or another. Um, I think that'll pretty much be it. I don't think there's there's much more to be done. 
We're pretty late at left back. Nobody can deny that. But we're hoping that's a development issue rather than a personnel issue. And uh, Bernabe can you know, get some game time and, and shows what he can really do. But yeah, it's, we're in a good place. You know, we'd love to still be playing European football, of course. But, you know, there'll be time in, in the future for that. This is a, a real opportunity to, to dig in for the treble. And we're in a great place to, to do it. Agreed. So that wraps things up for the latest episode of the Celtic Exchange Weekly. Thanks to James and Joe for joining me today. And as always, our thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to visit our new website at theCelticExchange.com for all things Celtic and to sign up for our free weekly newsletter. But in the meantime, from myself and the team, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again this time next week. Network.